this is Patrick Pollock with the Everyday Teacher Podcast. Uh, I am very excited to bring you this guest. Um, this is an individual who I can say with great confidence has been, oddly enough, a huge supporter of mine and, and one of uh, someone who I can always turn to for, for advice. And in, when you're a teacher, you need these people uh, in your world. And uh, today we'll be speaking with Dr. Sean Bolton from Newport Harbor High School. Uh, Sean, how are you doing today? Patrick, thanks for that introduction. It was great working with you at your alma mater, Home of the Hawks. Yes, as always. Principal there. Yeah. So, um, so uh, yeah, uh, Sean actually hired me as my first uh, tenured position. Uh, it wasn't tenured, but first position at Wiganales High School. I was the opportunities assistant, and the name in itself is somewhat uh, hyperbolic, <laughs> but. Uh, it was actually a great job to have out of the gate because it gave me a very different view of the educational system, and, and I'll get into that at a later date. But um, it was awesome to work for Sean. He is definitely a man of the people. Uh, he would come into your classroom. He would check on you to see how you're doing. And uh, again, by far one of the best principals I have had an opportunity to, to work for. So well, I'm always deeply appreciative of his time. So let's dive right into it. Let's tell the good people about your educational career. Um, number one, why did you want to be a teacher? And then how did you take a, take a hard right and end up in administration? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I really, I'm the classic guy that, you know, majored in history, didn't know what I wanted to do after. And then all of a sudden found myself volunteering at a classroom in Springfield, Missouri I, when I was finishing up my undergraduate degree and just kind of fell in love working with kids and went from there, taught in Springfield for a couple of years, LA Unified, and then, you know, came down here to Costa Mesa, Newport Mesa, and worked at Ensign and, you know, just climbed the administrative ladder. But I think that we are all influenced by teachers in our life and just being a product of public education and not having the best home life, I, I had mentors in my life, positive role models that really shaped me in a lot of different ways. And you kind of, you know, take that trauma and you redirect it and you come to terms with it and then you want to give back because certainly not everybody has an idyllic childhood and idyllic upbringing and they come from a lot of dysfunction and challenges and you want to be able to be that positive influence in their life. And that's the major reason I went into it into education. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. I, I, for, for some reason, I always thought you were an English guy, but I, I, I like you a hundred times more than I know your history. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then how did you stumble into administration? Was it something you had aspirations or it was kind of right place, right time? What did that look like? Yeah, it was the right place, right time. I was an English teacher. I, I did teach English too. I had both credentials, but I was teaching seventh grade English at Ensign intermediate school, which actually yep. feeds Newport Harbor High School. And this is like in the late 90s. And the principal there, Dr. Alan Musarino, who's the principal of El Toro High School, and now he's moose. a superintendent out in Riverside, the Moose. The yeah. moose is and yeah. he uh, encouraged me to go into education administration. And I signed up for a program at Cal State Fullerton that he was already involved with. And I jumped into a cohort and again, just having the right mentor at the right place at the right, right. time in your life. My wife and I were newly married, didn't have kids so I could take on a, another master's program and just got my admin credential. And what was really neat about Cal State Fullerton's program is I was in a cohort of 30 with other aspiring administrators who were teachers at the time. And it, for two years we were together and we really supported one another. We had wonderful professors at, at Fullerton and, the opportunities that you or the insight that you gain to change public education for the better. And I'm speaking about public education because that's what's near and dear to my heart. No sure. hit on private education, but right. I just think in public education, you open your doors to all and that's symbolic in a lot of different ways here in America. Right. And right after that, I got my first administrative job at Estancia and it's just influencing education at a higher level and working with educators and bringing them along and being part of that journey to influence students' lives on a macro level, not so much a micro level, was what sure. uh, really lit my match with administration. Right. And then from you went to from being an eagle to a hawk, and then 
Principal Adams retired, uh, I believe, and then right. you know Lincoln Hills was fortunate enough to uh, be able to uh, have you uh, kind of lead the charge, and and that was for four years. Is that right? Yeah, for five years. And five years, you know, I look me. back on that, and you know, if you look over my shoulder here, I'll just go that way. You can see yep, there it is. The, the principals the of Lincoln Hills High School. My three predecessors yep. standing right there. That picture means a lot to me because you know. Laguna Hills, the, the cliche there is that, you know, you're a family and you really are a family. And I know that, you know, school's not perfect and it's gone through its ups and downs and twists and turns, sure. but it is a family there. And I really felt like the staff there, despite differences of opinion and being at odds with some of them, that everybody right. was in it for the common good of the student and just having the support sure. of the, the teaching staff, the community and working with the administrators that I got to work with at the district level and on site right. was a special place. I mean, it really is. It's a really special yeah. place to uh, call home. And the reason I, I made the jump over here is that my kids will be here. And right. it's really the only school I would have left Laguna Hills for just because of my <laughs> kids. And my wife is like, look, if you're going to work this hard, you might as well make them better for your own kids and your community. Kids. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and that's why I did it. Um, right. But, you know, that sense of family and connection at Laguna Hills was very unique. And whether it was retirement parties or graduation or senior awards, the volume right. and amount of staff that showed up to support was tremendous. Right. Well, and I think, it, it, you know, a lot of that, again, in, in other podcasts, other, when I've talked to administrators, we've talked about culture. And we'll certainly talk about that uh, here in a moment about uh, you transitioning from Laguna Hills, which is a small public high school, to Newport Harbor, which is not so small. You definitely have what, 2,500, 2,600 students, yeah, if not yeah, more. Yeah, so yeah. almost a thousand more students than Laguna Hills, which is a lot of bodies. So, so we'll talk about that here in a second. So, <clears throat> it, March rolls around, the news is coming out, and uh, things aren't looking too too good. How did Newport Harbor respond to the pandemic? And, and I want to kind of break it down in a couple ways. You know, number one, you know, you as an administrator, you're, you're yourself, and I know you got, you know, Rick over there with you, um, and you got to bug him because I asked him to come on too. So I'm going to needle him a little bit. Um, but you and your staff had to make some, some pretty quick decisions. How did your staff respond? And then finally, the kids slash school community. So if you can take a couple moments to kind of explain those dominoes falling, that'd be great. You know, I mean, it's invigorating to hear that your oldest experience at La Paz was, was a positive experience. I think overall, it was a pretty average experience for a lot of people just because we weren't prepared for it. And that's, that's no hit sure. on anybody it's to no fault of anybody. You can't point the finger in this pandemic, right. I think, to anybody and put the blame on them for the lackluster effort or not effort, but lackluster environment that our kids were thrust into to learn. And sure. it wasn't because of lack of effort, I should say. And sure. I think that when we pivoted, we pivoted in so many different directions. There were so many tools at our disposal, technology tools that kids were logging on to different platforms. We were using different tools right. and it was almost like institutional ADD online. <laughs> We should yeah. have really, we should have really focused on Google Classroom, asynchronous, explain the synchronous time within the class, well-defined right. synchronous time, and what does asynchronous time mean to you? Because it's not right. a worksheet, and and how is that furthering the educational journey? The asynchronous time, so when you go back into synchronous time, it's all seamless, and sure. you know you can matriculate through a curriculum the way you're supposed to in class, which you know you've perfected it your virtual academy, but I think that we're, we're better prepared for it because I think over the summer, a lot of teachers have gone on a quest. Um, some of our teachers have gone to online seminars about all the different sure. tools, but we've made a commitment to have everything on Google, the beginning right. and the end on Google, and, and use our synchronous time at least 15 minutes every day. You know, you cannot sit on Zoom. I think parents have right. this idyllic, imagination of, of education being online and you know that it's, it's kind of like divorcing ourselves from that old school 
thought that we have and model of education where a teacher lectures at, at the yes. front of the class, you know, sage on the stage and goes through notes and lectures and right. there's very little checking for understanding or group work or allowing sure. students to work on assignments or concepts on their own. Right. I think now we've, we have it better defined. We have a singular platform. You know, I, I think that it's going to go better. The biggest challenge is connectivity with students. I mean, there's some students right. that don't have good Wi-Fi. They have sure. crowded living conditions. They're, right. um, they're, they're, they're challenged. They're housing insecure. They come from, you know, all various forms of abuse. And uh, that's, sure. that, that's the population of students I worry most because they're not here for us to shepherd them through school and that human contact is lost. It really right. is. Absolutely. No, and I think, you know, what we saw in, in, at my school is, you know, we still had, you know, it's a very, you know, diverse group that is in the virtual space already for a number of reasons. And, you know, one of the responsibilities is that, you know, you have your content kids and then your homeroom kids. And it's those homeroom kids you're you're hammering every day about this, that, what have you. And you have your typical bell curve, those to the right, those to the left, and most people in the middle. And some of those kids to the left, you know, fell certainly into that uh, description right there. They have uh, just uh, real mountains to climb. And it's hard when, you know, people, I think on the far right, they, they want you know, all the support and they're all in and by any means necessary, which is great. But that's the reality is that's not the case. That's not the academic landscape. And, you know, when we look at the topography of education, it is, it's, it's scary. You know, it, there's mountainous regions, there's caverns, there's bodies of water that we have to cross and then it's flat plains and easy rolling. So absolutely, I, 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 I marvel at times that there hasn't been a, a huge defection out of the educational system within the last six months. I mean, I get the older teachers, the 66 plus, you know, but uh, even more so, you know, to, uh, to not get truly discouraged and, and run for the hills. Right. So, so, right. so how did your staff respond? Like if you were going to give them a grade, and, and obviously you can curve it, but you know, I mean, to be fair, right. I mean, nobody was ready. Nobody had a chance to study for this test. So, um, you know, what did you, what, how did your staff respond? And then what were some of the, the pushbacks that you got for them? Sean, I can't do this or Sean, I need that. You know, um, Technology. Um, some of our teachers, you know, were woefully underprepared as far as like home technology tools. They didn't have updated laptops or tablets. You know, the cameras weren't what they are. And some of the, the tablets and computers and laptops that are coming out now, that was kind of a surprise is the lack of technology at home. And we, we through our foundation, were lucky enough to get some of the technology in students' hands. Some of the classes like ceramics, photography, drama, dance. I mean, how do you PE? How do you facilitate an online class and environment without right. you know being in person? Those classes are, I mean, really, really tough. It's not like you have a ceramic right. wheel in every house and you know, <laughs> where you can fire up ceramic projects. Right. And so those sorts of challenges were 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 just insurmountable in some ways, which we're better prepared to meet in the fall. But right. you know, I. I I think the staff overall gave it a good old college try and the people that sure. have been fighting technology for this long realize that, you know, it actually does make your life easier if you employ tools <laughs> in your curriculum and you put some of right. the outlines and notes and study sure. guides online that students can download. Right. Um, at the very least, I think it was a huge learning curve for all of us, including me. I didn't know what was out there. I, I didn't pay much attention to some of the stuff that had been sure. evolving over the last few years for online platforms and tools, you know, from Blackboard to Schoolology to the sure. Virtual Academy to some of the Alex, the online resource, you know, tutorial right. that's intuitive. I mean, there's just so much stuff out there that's, that's enriching. Right. But, um, 
You know, I, I would say most of the staff responded in the way I would expect them to respond. I mean, some people were just overwhelmed and mainly the teachers that were the visual performing arts teachers, the PE teachers. Right. And, sure. And I didn't have an answer. I, I don't think anybody really did, to be honest. Yeah, no. And, and I think what, and it was interesting when this went down, I, I talked to a, a, a teacher over at Hawkeye and I, I won't, I won't say their name, but you'll, you'll know who, who, I, who I'm talking about as soon as, as soon as I get going is that. Um, he was def he was definitely the kind of teacher that was not afraid to make photocopies every morning and, um, you know, and who is not the most tech savvy individual where his wife who also teaches there is, you know, and it's, it's just one of, in, in talking with him, he, he was very frustrated. I don't know how this is going to happen and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I think back, you know, lucky for me you know, even though I'm in the virtual space, you know, when I was at Luganhill's under, you know, under you, you know, we had, we started to use a website and we started right. to post things Haiku. online. Yeah. Haiku. And, and, and then it seemed like that went away and there was no level of accountability. But when I went to Luguna beach, you had to have a, a, a website, you had to keep it update. And what I had found, and I think what most teachers have found, hopefully over the last couple of months is that when everything is online, you no longer have to answer the question, That's what right. did we do yesterday? Where can I get this? Well, no, 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 people, it's all right here. So when I made the transition to this space, it was a very easy transition because it's like, oh, I'm used to posting and uploading things all the time. I'm, and it's just a matter of how I want the kids to have it and, and, and stuff like that. So, right. you know, I think the teachers that were able to pivot in that regard, and hopefully there was this, you know, uh, realization that, yeah, my life is actually easier. And even when we roll back into hopefully having kids on campus, it's still a one-stop shop. You don't have to constantly be worrying about this, you know, I need to go do this or I need to go down. Everything is locked and loaded right there. You're absolutely right. And, and that's, I think the the biggest and I hate to use the term selling point, but it's the biggest selling point for teachers. You know, I, I, it's an interesting point you make because I do know that in Laguna Beach Unified, it's written contractually some of the te yes, technology is. demands and requirements of teachers, including, right. you know, answering email within a certain amount of time. A lot of yeah. contracts around the state are void of that language that was included in Laguna Beach's contract. So, Right. But, you know, I remember you showing me that online test that you had developed on Haiku, I believe, right. for a civics class. And it was just really, really powerful. And, and the evolution just kind of stopped there. But, you know, the problem was is that you kind of you stick with one program and then the next best thing rolls up. Right. Like right. iPhone 10 to iPhone 11 and you hop on that. So teachers, you know, pour in a lot of work on Haiku or right. you know, we have school loop. And now, you know, we've just purchased Schoolology and all of a sudden it takes about 40, 50 hours to migrate everything, set up everything. And so now, yeah. you know, you're, it's, it would be nice to stick to something. I, I think the Google Classroom is one of the most powerful tools out there. And if you can fully sure. leverage all the tools that Google provides, and I know that, you, you know, the executive suite, I think, I don't know the buzzword for it, but you can pay right. extra and you can just get a whole host of, Oh yeah, tools on there. It's just really yeah, yeah. So I was I was uh, you know within my infrastructure, every teacher has an instructional coach, and he was a he's a former history teacher. He was a principal, and he encouraged me. He's like, go get Google certified. You know, it's just online classes, and when you really begin to go through the flow of just the basic technologies and how robust and how powerful they really are. You can do a lot of fun things. So the project-based learning or cooperative learning or, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, you can create forums and discussion boards and, and you end up really almost developing a classroom setting in a virtual space. So, you know, that, that is something that, I mean, it's just, it's a huge mission for ours in, in my school. You know, it's like, how do we get, kids to show up i mean how do we get kids to participate and participation now is not just raising their hand or typing something in the chat box it's something way more different now because now we have tools that give the quiet kid in the back who's uber smart and knows more than everybody Absolutely. in the room 
but yeah. you know his his hood is up and his iPhone or AirPods are in because he right. doesn't want to be bothered. So, no, I totally get that. So we've kind of already talked about it, but so it sounds like the plan for the fall is you're going to use Google as your platform, right. and then you're you're going to kind of roll some things out. Um, how has been the parent feedback? I mean, I'm sure you've had some some interesting conversations with some parents as a principal typically does, but on the whole was, has been pretty positive. Yeah. You know, I, I just going back to the spring really quickly, I think a lot of parents were tuning into their classrooms that their students were involved with and they were pleasantly surprised by the level of instruction, the, the mm -hmm. rigor that was being introduced and taught. Um, some parents were taken aback, especially in the humanities and English and social sciences, some of the advanced topics that students were discussing and it kind of walking them through the why of, you know, why we look at history or literature through this lens. Um, it's very progressive. And, you know, when you ask a student, you know, I don't know about your 13 year old, but I pick up my 13 year olds from eighth, seventh grade. It's like, how was school? Fine. You know, and that kind of continues all the way up through about 11th grade. And all of a sudden, it was inside their living rooms, their kitchens, their dining rooms, this, this evolution that they were going through of being exposed I, to their students' content. So that was nice. There was, there was a lot of complaints about workload, that the workload, sure. you know, like your twins at Valencia, was just ratcheted up so high because the right. onus came on the student. And, you know, parents, you know, passed Algebra 2 past biology, past content too. It's actually <laughs> pretty sophisticated, as you well know. I mean, the, the right. content is full of rigor. It goes right. into another intellectual paradigm. And they just, you know, they don't have the working skills to navigate. Some right. do. But, you know, you kind of have to refresh yourself. And a lot of parents that didn't have the working knowledge re-educated themselves because it's all sure. there. And... Um, and then, you know, I really worry, though, about our special ed population or at-needs population. You know, I, I don't call them the at-risk kids anymore, the at-promise kids that we have, right. the language learners. I mean, it's just they're the ones that I worry about the most because, you know, the, the parents that provide a good learning environment and we're going to get through this, right? I mean, there is going right. to be a day that we're going to get through this and we're going to be right. fine. It's just that how much further are they going to fall behind? And we truthfully lost some students. We lost contact with some students. And that's sure. really heartbreaking. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think that in, in the biggest complaint, if you will, or one of the biggest complaints is, is just that component. Is like there, there's just a certain population of kid that needs to be on campus. And there's not an educator in the country who doesn't recognize that or doesn't think that. You know, but there are there are bigger things at at work here, and um, I just think that it, it, the amount of resources in I'm going to probably say something maybe you know out of my lane, but the amount of resources that you can be provided from a district at a district level is very limited, and then you yourself, your team, your teachers, your school community have to become very creative in you know creating. Uh, avenues in which you can reel those kids back in and right. you, you you don't you you would probably need a staff of about a dozen people to be able to focus on that population to have probably a, 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 an impact and, and, and if you only got to 25% of your kids and this is the sad part of it I think that's probably a victory when when the reality is that there's might be just a bigger I, I population. so um, all right so uh, let's talk culture. We 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 uh, we got to talk culture. Um, it seems the moment you walked on campus, and this seems to this this was my perception. And if I'm wrong, it's just because I wasn't there. Um, but it, the perception I, I I have had, and other colleagues of mine have had, is that the moment you walked on campus, you were able to instill and change the culture at your school. And it just seems from the get go. Things I've seen on social media, people I've known that have kids that go to that school. Um, from the moment you walked on campus, it, the, the vibe, it was, it was a vibe to be a part of. Um, I know it didn't happen overnight. There was no magic beans available to you. Um, but 
what was the process? You know, you don't have to go into great detail, but what, what were some of the things that you tried to implement from the get-go to, to build the culture that you have today at Newport Harbor High School? You know, uh, Patrick, I mean, I just think that I've had great mentors and, and, you know, Frank Monzo to Wayne McCallion to Ed Adams to Laura Ott to, I mean, just, you know, giants, Alan Mussorino of the administrative world and, you know, true public educators, you have to get out from behind your desk and you got to get to know people. And, you know, I, I try and spend the first two hours of every day out on campus talking to people and just seeing what's going on, food service plant foreman, you know, the office staff, and then you kind of matriculate to students and seeing what's going on and seeing the ebb and flow of, and you just kind of have to get out. And, and I think that's, I think that's, I honestly think that's like the magic potion because you really get sure. an 80,000 foot view of how your campus operates, who's dropping off right. students where, bus routes, what meals right. are being served on different days to what, you know, group of students are late every day to some of the magic that happens in classrooms and some of the other classrooms that need a little more support and, right. you know, leaky faucets and I need a camera because, you know, a student dropped it yesterday and, you know, stuff like that. And I, I, I really right. think that's what, um, I don't think enough people do that in education. And I, I, I say that with a lot of sensitivity and hesitation, but I honestly think that being visible is, is the number one priority that every administrator in public education needs to, you know, keep in their mind and, and do. And, um, you get a real pulse of it. And, you know, again, just going back to the mentors that I've had, They've that reoccurring theme with all of them. They're just, you got to be visible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned, you know, Wayne McKellen, Mr. McKellen was my principal, my senior year in high school. And he came along with, with coach Brown and, and, you know, if I can describe Mr. McKellen for a second, so people put on your imagination hats, he's like five, six by five, six. Uh, he was a wrestling coach at Fountain Valley. Um, but when he spoke to you, you felt as if you were learning something. And, and, and I think that was just part of his mystique. And, um, you know, and, and I, I mean, I had three principals in four years when I was at Lucan Hills High School. Just like I had three varsity coaches in four years when I was at Lucan Hills High School. And the time that I was teaching Lucan Hills, I had three principals <laughs> in four years. Um, and I see a recurring theme. I should stay away from schools. Um, it's, but it, it's something to your point is that he was always out and about, like people went up and spoke to him, you know, same with Mr. Monza. Mr. Monza was the assistant principal when I was there. And then I just remember again, being the opportunities guy. And when I didn't have kids in the holding cell, so to speak, you know, and I was out, out and about, you know, dropping off detention slips or, you know, rounding up kids for Rick, it, it was, I would see you hustling from one end to the other, but if a student, you saw a student, you beeline, and then you were right there, and it's like, hey, what's going on, you know, every now and then you, you might have harassed him, because that's part of the job, but for the most part, how you doing, what's going on, where should you be right now, well, let me walk with you, let's go over there, so I want to make sure you get to class, I mean, those, that investment in the, 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 the campus community is so important. And, you know, I, I, I would expect, I would like to think that teachers are doing that. They're out and about, you know, the Mr. Tamales of the world that never misses a Hawk event. I mean, it could be a CIF game right. in Santee and he's there at five thirty waiting, you know, for the game to start, you know? Um, but I, 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 I appreciated the fact of how visible you were and, and I, you know, wouldn't, I would like to encourage more administrators to do that because your job is not an eight hour day. I, I, I recognize that you have too many irons in the fire, but that visibility component because people then see that you care and, and yeah, that's and, huge. you know, I, I certainly appreciate a lot of the the evolution that's occurred in lesson design and units of study and some of the formative and summative assessment advances that we've undergone in public education and the data. But, you know, 
it, it goes back to relationships and, and the, just the name Jim Tamales, you know, resonates with me because he was at everything and the kids knew he cared. And, right. you know, you walk in his classroom, it was probably the same methodology that he employed 30 years ago, but it didn't matter. The kids knew he cared and they went along on the journey with him. You know, Judy Dale, Cliff Jarmy. I mean, these are all people that showed up and knew kids' yeah. names in the first week. And, you know, when right. a kid walked in their classroom, it would be like, hey, great performance in, you know, Lem is last night or, you know, tough game yesterday in softball. Too bad you guys lost by one, but, you know, great effort. And all right. of a sudden, kids, kids know, you know. And right. um, I don't know if you remember Matt Mult, but, you know, yeah. the, the most prophetic yeah. – meeting I had with his parents was them mentioning that Matt never really connected to school until Cliff Jarmy. And they actually said that he's just scared. He's scared to miss a class or an assignment for Mr. Jarmy. And, you know, Cliff could be tough. Cliff could be intimidating, but at the very same time, he deeply, deeply cared and and kids knew it and they respected that. And, and those are the educators that, you know, and I could go on and on and on. I mean, sure. you know, the Roger Gunderson's, the Barbie Barton's. The, right. I mean, there's just a whole host of them. And here we certainly have our, you know, core of teachers that show up to everything. They know the kid's right. name in the first week. And right. I don't know. I, I think that that is missing from a lot of teacher education programs. I think that narrative never really surfaces for a lot of the newer right. teachers. The newer teachers, I think, are, are the most prepared group ever that I've seen coming out of teacher sure. programs. I mean, their fluency and proficiency level with the learning disability curve and five right. challenges within the intellectual realm as it pertains to autism and learning disabilities. And sure. So forth. Sure. Um, they're magical. They're magical. And, and you know, I, I shouldn't use the word disability, but it's just a challenge that students have intellectually to connect the content and they find a million different ways to connect kids to content. Right. But sometimes, you know, they don't, they, they go home too early or they don't show up for a play or they don't go to a basketball right. game. And it's just, it's discouraging. And I just mm-hmm. keep encouraging them because that's the next level. If you want to be that next level teacher. Right. And, and to you, you know, to your point about McKaylee and, you know, it was almost godlike talking to him because he, you, you got a little peek into a different dimension and, that's right. They do. right. They really, really do that for you. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's funny. Like I had, I had coach Jarmy was my math teacher and you know, the running joke was if Mr. Jarmy ever invites you to the wrestling room, don't go, you know, there are still kids missing to this day, you know, and it was just a running joke, but I mean, it, it, he's by far one of the more, most influential teachers and mentors I had. Uh, just his his always willing and and this is what separates you know the best from the good and the good from the needs to continue to working on it is always investing time in other people because that is the reward of the teacher it's it i have 40 students i have to find time to invest time in each student you know i have colleagues i have to find time to invest in them and and by all means you know I, I know what it was like to be a transactional teacher. I know what it was like to be a transactional coach. And that's only going to take you so far. But if I'm not willing to invest in other people so they can be better, you know, the, the, the relational part of it now is this, now it sky's the limit. There, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. And I mean, and that's, and I'd like to think that that's the path that I'm now on. And, you know, it, it took some bumps and bruises. You obviously are well aware of my educational path, as bumpy as it is. Um, it's really gotten me to a place that... It's actually that, inspirational, uh, though, Patrick. I mean, it really is. I mean, you kept moving forward and look where you, you, you've landed in the spot where you were probably meant to be, you know, right. in a lot of ways. And it's, it's only going to get better for you. Right. No, I, yeah. It, I appreciate that. <laughs> Again, I've always appreciated everything. A little whisper here, a little email there never helps. So, um, okay, kind of want to turn the page here. And, and this is something that uh, unfortunately uh, has gotten a lot of light shined on it. And it, it's dealing with social and emotional issues that our, our students are dealing with. And 
in 2018, uh, in spring of 2018, a, uh, sadly to say, a, a high school student from one of the local high schools here uh, who uh, seemed to have everything going for him, uh, top athlete, good grades, great family, lots of friends, uh, took his life. And it hit our county really hard. And um, it, 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 a, a lot of schools on campus, uh, you know, it, it really – uh, seem to circle the wagons a little bit to to kind of try to really console the the overall school community and and you wrote a letter home to your parents and and, and a parent ended up um, posting it online and then it ended up in the Orange County Register and the Daily Breeze and and I, I want to if I may I, I want to read just a couple parts of it really quick yeah. like and 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 just just so people can kind of understand what you were talking about. And, 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 and Sean says this in the article, we often shield our students from failure. We think that earning a C grade is a class is, a, is the end of the world and we don't allow our students to advocate for themselves. We have also devalued a military career, a plumbing or a welding job and we're a little, uh, we are a little embarrassed if our children wish to attend vocational training school instead of major universities. We say hurrah for those students who enter the armed forces, who want to work with their hands, who don't want to be weighed down with the burden of being perfect in high school and who earn a C in a tough class and are proud of them. And then you go on to say, it is during these bumpy times that we can applaud a C, applaud a student going to the military or junior college, properly support failure with the introspection, not blame, taking an 89.5% as a B plus in stride, or applaud a student in one of our CTE pathways. A British father would always quib, it is the sum of our experience that should always outweigh the sum of our bank accounts. We must reach the point where if our sons and daughters don't live a perfect young adult experience, it is not the end of the world. It is simply an opportunity to lift the sails and head in another direction. Um, in prepping for this, I've read this about three or four times, and it's usually about this time when you quote your father that I actually lose it. <laughs> but I remember, um, I remember reading it, my wife actually said, Hey, isn't this your Sean Bolton? <laughs> and yeah. I said, yes, it is. Um, dealing with social and emotional stress on a campus life. I mean, you felt very compelled to write this letter to your own school community. What are some ways as an administrator, as a staff, we can try and help and reach those students that, you know, they're like a duck uh, on, on top of the water. They're cool, calm, and collected, but underneath they're paddling like hell. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I really, I, I don't know, Patrick. I mean, I, I really think there's so many things wrong with, with what we're doing. I mean, it's like the best of times and the worst of times overall dip in the one, you know, I, I just think that we have so many opportunities at our disposal that we don't champion for our kids. And like every kid's got a gift. They just open it up at different times in their life. And it may not be in high school. And right. the next step would be community college or a military opportunity or going through an apprenticeship program at a local union and just, you know, working at a trade until you figure it out. And I've just seen too many different people get ruined by checking the boxes and thinking that, you know, if I go down this narrow funnel, it's going to equate to happiness, success, and some utopian life at the end. And it really, really doesn't. And I think that colleges and universities now more than ever are more expensive. You know, I think if you factor in inflation, there's no way 50 years ago, colleges and universities cost as much as they do now. Right. There's no way. I mean, and then you go on to postgraduate work, whether it's law school or medical school, and all of a sudden you're saddled with three to $500,000 of debt. And then yeah. you enter a profession and you've got to pay off that debt. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. And right. uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity in the trades. And in the last five years, just having done a lot of research in, in what's out there and having, we, we started a carpentry training apprentice program over at Estancia High School that all four high schools in the district send kids to. 
and they earn two years of apprenticeship there and then they go into two years of advanced apprenticeship and they're earning you know usually fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year at twenty one years of age with benefits in a 401k plan with you know further advanced training with the right. opportunities of becoming a uh, you know, a foreman, a supervisor, a superintendent, and, you know, the military, it's not, it's not our, our parents' military anymore. I mean, some of the job skills and opportunities there is incredible. And, and we've just kind of diminished it. And I think some of that's racial. I think some of that's cultural. I think there's a hierarchy there that, you know, is a much deeper conversation. It's for mm-hmm. that population of kid or that population in the United States. And it's just, it's wrong. Um, it's really, right. if my son or daughter goes into the trades, I'd be more than proud to support him and happy to, you know, get that journey sure. on, on their way. And, um, you know, I, I think that teenage mental wellness is a priority. I think that, you know, our, our curriculum, I think in many ways it's, it's really enhanced the experience for a lot of students. I don't think that, um, I think our students are smarter and more connected than ever before. But at the same time, you know, we have to pay very close attention to the students that we're leaving. Like, you know, to your point, underneath that facade is this is raging soul. And why is that? Right. Something's not being fulfilled. And I, I think that going outside and discovering and playing and working at a slower pace maybe than, their peers is okay. You know, right. not taking AP classes or trying just one AP class or wanting to go to community right. college or wanting to try the military for five years or sure. working on, you know, a house. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. Right. It's just, it's become a blemish. And I think the higher the socioeconomic status of a student, I think the more pressure is put on them to perform. Right. Um, the turning point I have noticed a lot of, you know, wealthy parents now ratcheting back because they, they understand that not all kids are built to take AP calculus, AP physics, AP language and lit AP, you know, US history and go through that gambit. And, you know, you've seen it, Patrick. I mean, you see, you've been around long enough now you've seen it and the grind kills them. The grind <laughs> no kills them. And we don't need to lose yeah. any more kids to suicide. I mean, it is yeah. the biggest burden that a parent has to live with. It is. Right. <laughs> and I can't imagine it as a parent. I'm sure you can't right. imagine it as a parent. No. Yeah. And we need yeah. to really pay attention to that. You know, the data, the achievement, the status of a school isn't all tied up into AP scores and how many kids go to sure. a full year. It can't be. Right. And what's refreshing is that the California dashboard now is taking a more holistic right. view, college right. career ready, right? Not just college right. ready. Right. And we got to get away from it. We have to. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to solve the problem until we get away from UC eligibility, right. AP scores, IB diplomas, and et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. We're not. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting. Like you know, two things to add on to that is is Mike Rowe from Thirty Jobs, right? He, he's got a great TED talk, and I, I would if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to watch it. But he basically makes the statement that our educational system is completely backwards. We have we are we're so focused on test scores that there's no learning going on. It's just consumption of knowledge. There's not it, it's not a vacuum. It can't exist on its own. Um, that you know there is value to practical experience there's value in practical application it's not studying to a test you know and the you know jobs that are out there are are really important you know the plumbing jobs the the welding jobs these are high paying jobs you know um that uh, a student i i remember one of my kids one of the kids i one of the kids i had in uh it was always in my opportunities room. You know, I ran into him two years after I had left and he had, had finally gotten his uh, GED, but he got a job as a mechanic and, and he was doing well. He was making $45,000 a year working on cars. And I said, well, what was your biggest takeaway from high school then? He's like, your classroom, because I could be who I, who, who I was, and then taking auto shop. 
And it's like, it's, if it's weird that those are the, it's weird, but it's not weird that those are the two things he remembers most because those might've been the two things that prepared him for his life track. And to your point to the AP test, my daughter earlier this year, or maybe it was actually a few weeks ago, she's like, do I have to take all AP classes when I get to high school? I said, absolutely not. I said, you'll take two AP classes. You'll take AP English and AP History. And she's like, well, why those? I go, because, you know, you read, at a, you read at a college level, you write at a college level, and you like history. So challenge yourself in the things you truly enjoy and love. Right. Biology is biology. Math is math. I go, so I'm not going to watch you wither under a pile of books and homework because you need a three, four, or a five on a test we have to pay 80 bucks for. It, it just doesn't work that way. And some colleges are moving away from AP scores to begin with. So, yeah. you know, where, where is the value in, in, in that? So, um, yeah. So you she, know, and, and just to, to, to add on to that, you know, we, we, we've, uh, we have a robust hall of fame here. We have five classes mm-hmm. conducted and more and more faculty have been showing up and, you know, the next day, whether it's an all staff email or the chatter in the lunchroom or whatever in the hallway, mm-hmm. you know, the takeaway that most people come out with <clears throat> is the hall of fame speeches include some form of struggling in high school. And there was the right, right, right. adult at the right time. I struggled. I wasn't a very good student or they saw something in me that I never knew existed. Right. And, and, you know, they are the giants of our society now and, and their accomplishments right. are just incredible. And it, it hits you like a brick every time they mention that. And, you know, Ted McGinley, who's an actor, was, was yep. an average student here, played water polo, and it was the drama teacher that saw something in him. He never thought of himself as a thespian. You know, Suzanne right. Schreiner is the largest, you know, Hawaii's the only right. coffee bean, bean um, grower in, in the United States. It's the only state that grows coffee. And mm-hmm. she just mentioned, you know, she thanked her parents for allowing her to play outside and discover yeah. and not put pressure right. on her. And it's just those little yeah. tidbits that you just yeah. start picking up on. You know, now she's, you know, she's got her own coffee farm on the big island. She's the head of the consortium of coffee growers in Hawaii. She's a very influential, powerful person. And, you know, they don't have that idyllic childhood, right? They're not taking right. all the AP classes and sure. killing it. And, and, you know, and so I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to the checking of the boxes. But you know, Patrick, right. because you've been around and you grew up in Laguna Hills and it's Montessori school at three. It's you got to get in the right preschool. You've got to right. have the right kindergarten teacher, you know, right. and it, you know, if you're not writing cursive by first grade, my life is over. And it's like, right. No, no. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think some of the best success stories are those that are built out of a, a, a you know, a, a strenuous journey. And, um, you know, I, I always, I always gravitate to those success stories. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Steve jobs, the Bill Gates of the world, those are important, influential people, you know, mm-hmm. But, but there are other people out there who's, they've been able to overcome some pretty amazing hurdles and to go on to do really impactful things. So, um, so yeah, it's your humble beginnings and, and stick to it as pays off. All right. Oh, one last thing, one last thing, and then we'll get you out of here. I'm sure you've got like people lined up outside your office and you're giving them the one minute or one more second. All right. Here's a quote. I'd like to kind of end our thing. I'm a big quote guy. And I know I read some of your letter there, but this is a little different quote from this other principle. And uh, this principle says this. All right. And I quote, the best high schools are magical for students and change their lives and make them lifelong learners. Dr. Sean Bolton, principal of Newport Harbor High School said that. What does that mean? What does magic look like at your campus? Uh, the students are connected. You know, I, I, that they're working as hard as they can at what they do and they're loving it. And, you know, I, I just want students to be connected in some way, whether it's a club, drama, music, choir, dance, a sport, 
they feel like they're part of the fabric of this school every day. You know, and we, we've certainly not perfect here and we've tried to build a culture that's inclusive and equitable and we're certainly not there. But students need to see themselves as part of the fabric of what we do every day and part of our comprehensive high school over the last, you know, their four years here and they've got to get the most of it. And that's the magic. Um, if that happens, then we've done our job. And, you know, I, I just feel like if the student's connected in some way, they really start seeing themselves beyond our walls in a, in a positive light. Right. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, and, and again, uh, uh, Newport Harbor is very blessed to have you and your team there. Um, and I, 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 again, I, every high school have its struggles and it's, and it's hiccups and, and, you know, kids will be kids, but, uh, it, you know, I, 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 I continue to just watch from afar and just, you know, my own way, um, you know, say out loud, I hope those kids realize the, the person they have, you know, well, guiding you. that ship. You know, that's, it's something that's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And I just wish you continued success and, uh, you know, over there. And uh, I know when your kids get there, it might be a little hard for them. They might change their name <laughs> for four years. Yeah, we're, we're, our last name is actually Bolton, B-U-L-L-O-T-O-N. They shy away from that one. <laughs> but thanks, Patrick. I really appreciate the time today. It's great to connect with you again. And, you know, I hope uh, our paths cross again someday. I, I, I hope so. Anyhow. All right, boss. Well, that's all we have time today. That was a great one. A lot of good nuggets to dissect. So um, we'll get this up on the website. Again, you can follow us on Podbean, the everydayteacher.podbean.com, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts. And uh, as we like to say here at the end of our show, Keep learning. Dr. Bolton, take care. Hey, thanks, Patrick.